Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. Well, I'm sure that it's good to hear this in person rather than live stream. What do you say? Amen. Didn't that sound great? That was just, wow, what a blessing. So I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here. I'm going to be reading this morning from Genesis 1, I'm sorry, Genesis 2.18, and then Genesis uh, Genesis 2.18, 21-24, and then Genesis 3.1-7. I'm just flustered with all these people out here. I'm not used to that. But (laughs) anyway, so Genesis 2.18, 21-24, and Genesis 3.1-7. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed closed up its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you may not eat of any fruit of the trees of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. For the... But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That's the scripture for today. Let's bow in prayer and ask God's blessing. Our Father, we thank you for the blessing of being able to gather here this morning. Thank you for all those who worked so hard to make it happen. And uh, we thank you for the blessedness of the music that we just heard and that it blessed our souls. And we pray that as the Spirit of God has been hovering on the waters, that he would now open our hearts and hear the word of God that Pastor Mike is going to preach and teach. Be with him and fill him with the Spirit, and also we pray that you would illumine the word by your inspiration, by the Holy Spirit, just as he inspired it when it was first written. We pray these things, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Six feet social distance. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. Wow, it's so cool to be back and meeting. Um, we are having some difficulties for the online presence, and so we're working diligently to get that on. So if you can hear me out there in social land, we're working on it. And so um, grateful to be here this morning and to see everybody. Uh, man, I miss you guys. This is good, right? And so glad we were able to do this. Uh, thank you to Branches in Fullerton. There's one, that's one of our Acts 29 churches who... who uh, they're actually meeting inside now in, in Orange County, so uh, they gave us these uh, uh, these tents so that we can sit in the shade, and, and so we're grateful for them and for partner churches 
Um, yeah, just continue to pray for all of the Acts 29 churches and all the RCA churches right now. Um, it's a difficult season for everybody, as you can imagine. And so uh, we are in the fifth uh, sermon in the series called What We Believe. Uh, we're teaching you the essential truths of the Christian faith. Um, and, and we're trying to really land heavy on why it really matters, how it matters to us today. So the first week we talked about who God is, because before God did anything, he was. And so God reveals himself as one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then the Bible says that God is love, that that is his nature, that God is in himself found fundamentally love. And so we see that, that God, the Trinity, is this loving union of, 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 of one God. And, and so, and that matters to us. It matters to us because the Bible also reveals to us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. So we're to be like God. We are to also love and to be loved. We are created to love and to be loved. We're, we're created to be like God. Uh, the Bible says that... Uh, Last week, we learned uh, what we believe about humans. The fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God has profound implications for our dignity, the value and worth of all of mankind. And can we wrap our minds and hearts around that today, especially in a world who, who, that, that is completely polarized? Would you agree? And that equal, equal rights are not the narrative today. But, but God actually says that all of humanity... Has, has dignity, value, and worth of all mankind, that humans are significant in this way. And sadly, however, the culture continues to deny this truth and seek for meaning outside of God's design. What, what's more disturbing than that is that even some of us who belong to Christ don't experience the joy and the freedom that comes from knowing and living this truth out. And today we're going to talk about why that is. Or today we're going to talk about what we believe about the fall, what we believe about sin and, and the curse. So this should be encouraging. Welcome back. <laughs> but this is an essential truth. Truthfully, this is the one of the most significant days in all of human history, a day that if you don't understand, the rest of humanity doesn't make any sense at all. It's essential that we have a right view of sin because it is the foundation for our view of, of our relationship with God. It's also uh, foundational for our view of, of our relationship with one another. And it leads us to our greatest need, which is salvation and redemption. As a pastor, I can tell you that one of the most painful parts of my job is dealing with sin. Our, our, our leaders are constantly dealing with sin, whether, it's, whether we get the front row seats to sin and all of its effects. Some people deal with sin, some, in, uh, some are repentant, some are unrepentant. We deal with victims of sin, we deal with the consequences of sin, and, and sometimes in doing so, we sin and we contribute to it, because we're not perfect either. We're trying to help and then we make mistakes. We're not hopeless, but there is a deep, painful awareness that something is terribly wrong in the world. Would you agree with that? And it is rooted in sin. The way people treat each other today is not the way it's supposed to be. The way the world is today is not the way the world is supposed to be. And as we deal with this subject today, I need you to know this, is that I'm not coming at it in just a philosophical or a theological perspective. Yes, I am a pastor, so you're going to get that, Right? But I'm also a, a, a husband, a father, a brother, a sinner. And so uh, 
you got to understand that, that we're coming at this with my greatest need, too, is, is to understand this truth because, because it matters. Ten out of ten pastors were surveyed, and nine out of ten readily admitted that they struggle with sin. And I'm convinced that the other one's just a liar. <laughs> so with that said, we're going to uh, talk about the fall today and, and the day that, that human history was forever changed um, and the day that if you don't fully understand, nothing else is going to make sense. And so I pray that you will, and God will, open up your hearts and your ears to hear what he has for you today. And so uh, we're just going to start with a question, like, where did sin originate? We find that in Genesis 3. Now, I want to caution you, because we, we, do, we, we read these types of, of text, and, and they become so familiar with us that we just sort of read them, and they, we put them in their little theological category, and then we move on. As opposed to, like, emotionally being wrecked <laughs> over this. Like, we need, God, this is God's word. We, we talked about that in, in week two, that God revealed himself to us. And he spoke to us. And this is God's word to us. And he gives us this. And we need to take these, these texts that we know we're so familiar with. And we need to redeem them in our own hearts and our own mind. Because this is a devastating thing that happened to our world, and it's the reason by which we are in the circumstances that we face. It's what is coming against. Sin is, what is what's coming against each and every one of us. And we have to learn how to deal with our sin as well. The story is essential to understanding our relationship to God, how we relate to others, and how we see our world. So here, here's the story, Genesis 3. It starts with this. It says, now the, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So he starts here with the serpent. We read in Revelation 12 and Revelation 20 that this is Satan. Satan is a created being. He is an angel. Uh, he did not want to worship and love God. He became proud in his heart. Uh, Isaiah and uh, Ezekiel says that, that he was casted out of heaven. And then Jesus tells us that a third of the angels were casted down with him. They also rebelled and did not want to love and worship God. Genesis 3 is called the original sin. Uh, but truth be told that there was sin that preceded this sin because um, because of Satan, right? We know that he fell, and that was before. So this is really just human history. So Genesis 3 is the original human sin. He starts talking about the serpent, and he describes him as more crafty. Many of you think you're really smart, right? And, and, and that you're winsome, and that you've got some really good ideas, but, but you're not smarter than Satan. You have to know that. He, he is described as more crafty. He is smarter than you. He's more clever. He's more nuanced. He's more observant. He's been a, around a whole lot longer than you and I, and he's seen a whole lot more. He has deceived and destroyed people far more competent than you. And, and, and he says here he is more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And then he comes to the woman, and he asks her this question. He said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, if you remember the story that God made man, he said it was not good for him to be alone. He creates the woman, brought her to the man. They love each other. They're married. He sings this wonderful song of worship to God over her. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I should call her woman. And he's, he's worshiping God for this beautiful thing that, that God has given him. God instructs him and says this, you, cannot, you can eat from any tree that I have given you with one exception. Do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
For when you partake of it, you will die. So God gives them everything with one exception. And there has to be that. Because love needs to be a choice, doesn't it? Love needs to, I need to, I need something that will tempt it and test my relationship. And here is that tree. And then this death here that, that, is going, that is a consequence of eating of the tree is a spiritual death, which is spiritual separation from God, and then a physical death at the end of their life. God is a good God, and he's a loving God. And he says, you can have everything but this one thing with that one exception. And then Satan slithers in here, and he focuses on the one thing that you and I can't have. Isn't that so deceptive? He gets you focusing on something that you can't have here. Satan here starts changing and manipulating God's word. And this is important. Why? Because in the second week, we told you that we take God's word here literally. We take God's word here literally. You'll either take God at his word or you will add and subtract from it. And and the result will be devastating. People are doing this all the time. They make this Bible uh, interpret the way they want it to interpret. And no, that, you can't do that with God's word. This is part of the reason that we're going to have a family meeting le- next week. Because even our denomination, our beloved denomination, is changing the interpretation of God's word. And, and we can't stand for that. We can't line, stay in line with that. And so we have some very hard and difficult decisions to make about our future in our denomination. But you'll either take God at his word or you'll add and subtract to it, and the result will be devastating. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, let's just stop there. Let's just stop there because the first mistake that, that Eve makes is that she actually responds to Satan. Now, some people, for the sake of nicety and politeness, they engage in conversations that, they should, that you should never be in right? That, that some of you are overly merciful, some of you are overly weak, some of you are overly compassionate, some of you are overly tolerant. And when someone who is a gossip or someone who is a liar or someone who is divisive or deceptive engages you, 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 you engage back. And, and, and you shouldn't even be in that conversation. You have to be careful. Listen, family, you have to be careful because these people are doing what Satan's doing here. They are in a league with Satan, and you don't have to engage. You don't have to engage. Her first mistake was she engaged. She could have simply walked away. And I don't, and I don't, want, to, and I don't want you to, to participate in anything that's going to dishonor God. When people are manipulating people and dishonoring God, you don't have to participate. How many of you right now are stuck into conversations that, with conflict and, and gossip or divisiveness or air? I mean, man, and then, and then because you lack the courage just to walk away, you're sucked into these conversations. I've seen some of you guys' Facebook posts. You should not engage. Like, seriously. You could just simply walk away. Satan is crafty. He knows what he's doing. I've got a question for you. What are you listening to? What are you reading? What articles are motivating you? What websites are you logging on to? What radio and television programs are informing you? What conversations right now should you not be involved in? That you need to make a decision today that I am not going to engage. This was Eve's first mistake. She responded. And here's what she said. Verse 2. We may, eat of all the, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, did God say that? No, here she is adding to God's word right now. God did not say that you can't touch the fruit. She's, she's adding to it. Many people like to do this. Many people like to add to God's word, like, like from books to theologians to emotions to experience, and whatever it is, tradition or preference. Cultures take God's word and they add to it or, or take something from it, and in doing so, they destroy it altogether. And so we have to be careful that we're, 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 we're taking God's word and we're, and we're interpreting it correctly. Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's saying, God's a liar and he's holding out on you. And that's the temptation here. Oh my gosh. So he's saying, don't eat that because he'll know that I'm going to, to be like him. And so she's kind of, the, the, the hook is set almost. Here's the deal. If you believe that God is lying to you and holding out on you, you're going to sin to get whatever you think you deserve. That's the bottom line. That's what's going on right here. If you think that God is not good, that he is a liar, and that he's holding out on you, then you'll sin. You'll choose not to follow God, but to follow the temptation that is in front of you, and you will sin. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, you'll, you'll sin to obtain it. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a possession, an experience, an accomplishment, Satan wants you to believe that God is holding out on you. That God is not allowing you to achieve your full potential or giving you what you think you deserve. She's putting her trust in Satan and believing a lie. What are you believing right now? Do you believe that God is good and that he has your best interest in mind? Or do you believe he's holding out on you and that, and that he's a liar? Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wild, she took of its fruit and ate. 1 John 2.6 says this. It says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. You see, the lust of the flesh, it, 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 it tastes good. It feels good. The lust of the eyes, it's attractive. It looks amazing. And the boastful pride of life, it'll make me be the boss. I'm God. I'm the boss here. If you're following along in your study guide, we're totally going to get to that. That was a huge intro. Um, but here's the first thing that we believe. That we believe sin is going to come in and through physical pleasure, through visual observation, and it will always tempt and test your pride. Basically, I see it, I like it, I want it, and you're not going to stop me from getting it because I'm the boss. This is what happened to Eve. Verse 6, and she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Where's Adam? Where's Adam? We can participate. With her. And what is he doing? Nothing. 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 He's sitting there watching Satan tempt and lie to his wife, and he's sitting there doing nothing, absolutely nothing. Adam just married his wife. He was appointed to love and to protect and defend and encourage her. He was, they were created to, to worship God together, and here this dude is doing nothing. Eve probably thought that she was doing something helpful, but she's not. And then Adam, is, is, he's just doing nothing while Satan is lying and tempting his wife. 
It is my deep theological and practical uh, conviction that <laughs> of mine that one of the worst things that men can do today is nothing. Is to sit back and do nothing. Some men abuse their authority and they become harsh and mean and they yell at their wife and they scream at their kids and they make threats and demands. But most men in our day and age are a lot like Adam. They just avoid and abandon their responsibilities. They, they get, they get, it gets a little, like life, life gets a little rough and they, they cut and they run and they quit. There are some who, who hand off their responsibilities to someone else. Someone else is raising their children. Someone else is loving their wife. Someone else is paying their bills. Someone else is leading in their church. Some men abuse, some men abandon, some men avoid, some men hand off their responsibilities, and it all started with Adam. That's why this matters. That's why we have to know this text, because men have been repeating the same sins as Adam ever since, and women. Eve was not taken off. God was holding her responsible as well. He had watched Eve eat that fruit and nothing happened to her. So he, he just goes and he partakes in itself. I wrote this down here. I've said it before. I think I stole it from somebody. It said, Eve followed the snake. Adam followed Eve and no one followed God. And no one followed God. If I, if I repeat that like four more times, I'm just going to put my name on it because I love it. Eve followed the snake. Adam followed Eve, and no one followed God. It should be to no surprise to you guys that the first attack was on the marriage. It should be no surprise to you that Satan's first attack is targeted the marriage. And if you ask me, the problem with our world is the attack on and the breakdown of the family as God had intended it. Satan points his crosshairs right on the two most significant relationships. We learn that, that our relationship with God and our relationship with one another is, is the most significant things. And we are significant as humans. And so he <clears throat> puts the crosshairs on the two most significant relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And he, and he has not stopped that attack ever since the garden. That's his attempt is to separate us from the Lord and separate us from, and have us at odds with one another. Verse 7, And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. We look, we listen, we doubt, we think God is holding out, and we bite, and as soon as we bite, we are hooked, and as soon as we are hooked, we know we've done something wrong, and we feel guilt and shame, and we immediately go to, to the cover-up. The same tactics are being used today. We cover up. This is what we do. We cover ourselves up to make us look better. We cover ourselves up to, 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 to try to convince others and ourselves that we're really okay when we know we're not. We spend so much of our lives covering up and hiding who we really are. We cover up with intelligence and busyness to make us look smart or, or, or productive or important, giving the appearance of that we're having it all together. We cover up with self-righteousness and religion so that we appear spiritual and good. Well, you're the pastor, right? You don't make mo no mistakes. Of course I don't. I pray. And, oh, come on. Well, deep down inside, we all know that there's something really going on. And if you really th knew the things I thought, you'd be like, why is that dude a pastor? 
This is Satan's strategy to get you to think that you don't need a, a savior, to get you to think that you can cover yourself, that you can cover your sin. You see, when we, the reason why we started with God and to share, to share with you who he is and, and that it, at his foundation is love, here's the thing. When you sin, you don't have to cover up. I believe if, if Adam would have just confessed his sin to God, he would have been merciful because God is a God of love. And yet we think we have to cover it up as if, if we would go to God, he might, he might damn us or something. He's not. He's a loving, merciful, graceful God, so we don't have to cover up. We could actually go to God and receive love. Grace, forgiveness, redemption. But Satan's strategy gets us to believe these lies. The Bible says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, I think it's, it's just equally important to know who God is, but it's equally important to also know who Satan is. Y'all, y'all need to know your enemy. And you've got to know his tactics. Look at verse 8. And, then the, <clears throat> and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called out to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here's, here's one thing about the, that sin does. It makes you foolish. Sin makes you foolish. As if they can actually hide from God. Right? That's like hiding from air. You just can't hide from air. You can't hide from God. Sin will make you become foolish. We make these choices that we know are wrong, and then we hide behind things thinking God won't know what we've done. God knows everything about you. You know, that's actually liberating. That should be liberating for you, that he has taken everything into account. Everything that you do from from birth to death, he knows your life beginning and end. He took all that into account, and he still sent you Jesus. He still sent you a Savior. He loves you, and yet we do something, and we feel guilty and ashamed, so we go hide, and we try to hide from God. You're not going to hide from God. You don't need to hide from God. God gets right to the point. I love this, right? Verse 11, he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? (laughs) He doesn't beat around the bush. I love that. He goes, did you just do what I told you not to do? Did you do that? Again, we we learn that the Trinitarian God of the Bible is a God of love. And and again, I'm convinced if Adam would have confessed, yes, I did it, Lord, and I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me that he would have done that. Because God is loving. He's merciful. And we don't have to hide from him. We can be honest with him. But the story goes from bad to worse. Look at verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, She gave me the fruit to eat, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So Adam immediately shifts blame upon God and his wife, the two most significant relationships here. The one that he was just singing to, he was singing praises to God just moments later in chapter or earlier in chapter 2, he's singing, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Finally. And now he's going, no, God, it's your problem. And, and it's her problem. You made her. You gave her to me. She convinced me to eat. I'm the victim here. I'm the victim. Don't you know we live in a culture of, of victims? 
Nobody taking responsibility for their own actions. And it started right here. That we would rather not deal with sin and not be honest about what's going on inside of us. And we would rather look outside of us and try to blame people. That we want to shift blame on someone else. This isn't me. I'm the victim here, Adam says. And then he also holds the woman accountable as well. And he says, what have you done? And she says, the devil made me do it. (laughs) <laughs> the devil made me do it. It wasn't me. It wasn't because I saw that it was good for and it would make me wise. And, I could, and, and it was actually his fault. Paul Tripp, we're big fans of Paul here. He writes this. He says, it started in the Garden of Eden, and we've been committed to it ever since. We all point the finger of blame, and we, we all work to convince ourselves that the party to blame is not us. You see, when you've done something wrong, it's not natural to look inside yourself for the cause. Sin makes us all shockingly self-righteous. It makes us all committed self-excusers. Somehow, someway, we all buy into the delusion that our biggest problems live outside of us and not inside of us. Boy, that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. But what God does next is absolutely amazing. He introduces Adam and Eve to grace. Look at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, to, and, dust, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity in between your, you, here's the gospel, and your woman, and in between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. Heal. This is the precursor to John uh, uh, 3.16. This is where God entered, uh, gives us a promise. Up to this point, the, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've hid from God. They've covered up and they've blamed each other. But God does the exact opposite. He doesn't hide his face from them. He comes to them. He c- uncovers their sin and, 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 and he doesn't blame them. He gives them a promise of redemption. This is the next thing we want you to write in your notes. That we believe that our sin separates us from God and others. But, but God, this is God, he seeks and saves. This is what he does. He, he, he could have rightly uh, uh, hid himself, protected his holiness, and blamed them for not following the command. <clears throat> and he would have been perfectly just in doing so. But, but instead of guilt, God gives grace. That's the amazing trend. The, turning of of, of awesomeness that is in the Bible. God gives us what we don't deserve. There are consequences for their actions. We're going to get to that. But but grace is the crucial ingredient when it comes to the relationship with the one who made us. And it matters. Because you know what? You don't have to hide anymore. Because you know God's response. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to forgive you. And to give you the power and the strength and to redeem yourself and to, to live a different life, one that would bring glory to him. You don't have to run from God anymore. How many of you are running and, and hiding in shame? It's been so easy with COVID-19 to do this. It's been so easy because we, we're, there's no accountability because we're not meeting to really get lost in this. And I want to encourage you. You could run to God for the grace that he read, is readily wanting to give you. You could repent of your sin. And you can be redeemed. Amen. Somebody say amen. Wow. All right. 
This is the first promise of, of the coming Jesus, the one who will come to destroy the destroyer. They will crush the head of Satan. And so this leads me to the next essential truth that we believe about God. It says, we believe that God responds to sin and rebellion with the promise of forgiving, redeeming, and restoring grace. God's response to Adam and Eve's sin was the promise that Jesus would come, that he would not just cover it up, but he would pay the penalty for all of sin. Just as the serpent came and deceived Eve, so, so the seed of the woman will produce a man, and his name is Jesus, and he will crush the head of Satan, and that is good news. Even though God promises them grace, there was severe consequences to their sin. Look at verse 16. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. Um, Being a mother is a wonderful thing, right? But it comes with pain. It's a blessing and an honor, but it it explains why women struggle with infertility and miscarriages. Why, Why children are born in this world, and it brings such great pain when they are born. And to some degree, every mother experiences... We know this. I mean, our kids are growing up, but every mother experiences this pain uh, uh, the rest of their life. <laughs> There's a constant worry going on with our kids, isn't it? And, uh, and I think God does that because it's kind of, think of this, that we've learned that God is our father and, and his, he's like a parent and he's in relationship with us. So, so now the mother experiences pain of being in the parental role that God felt when we sinned against him. Isn't that interesting? Like, God's not tit for tat, but at the very least, we can be sympathetic toward God who, who, who we've sinned against. And so when, when, when pain was added to childbearing, we're actually, we could actually sympathize with God, that pain. Don't forget that Jesus had to die a very painful death for sin. And then he says, uh, then he says that her desire will be contrary to her husband, but uh, she will, or he will rule over you. There's going to be real conflict here. There's going to be real conflict in between people because of sin. And the woman's life is marked by her children and her husband, and this is a struggle. Our relationships aren't always awesome all the time, right? Sometimes it's a struggle. Look at verse 18. This is what he said to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree that I, in with, of which I have commanded you, you should not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for, for you are dust, and dust, and to dust you shall return. At this moment, creation is affected completely by sin. Like the world is cursed. Everything under our dominion is cursed. That as you struggle and you toil and you fight you're, and, you, and, and it brings frustration, now you know what it means to be under the authority of something. Now you know what God felt like when he was sinned against. And again, this isn't tit for tat, but, but God does that to humble us so, and it causes us to identify with them so that we would actually have the conviction of stop hurting people. There's people in this lawn right now, in this space right now, that has not dealt with sin, not dealt with problems that are going on in the relationships. Maybe it's between you and God, and, and, and then you can get, once you and God get straight and you get forgiven by God, then you need to do some work by, by bringing that uh, sin out into the open, 
confessing it to each other and getting through it and starting to work through it and act like God acts. What did God do? He forgave them. And, and this is another thing, too. Even the consequences of the fall, that, that these things are going to cause frustration, well, what's the point? The point is this, is that, is that God is trying to allow us to, to identify with him, that he wants us to experience the forgiving, graceful power of a relationship. He wants us to experience the grace in a relationship like he is giving to them. He wants you to experience that with one another. He wants you, look, every time you're sinned against, you can praise God because it reminds you of the sacrifice that he made, and it gives you another opportunity to act like God, to act like Jesus, to forgive, to, to redeem, to restore, to love, to give what people don't deserve. Unforgiving grace. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> the man and his wife... The man called his wife, wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made uh, for Adam and his wife garments of skin, clothed for the, uh, and he clothed them. This, again, is another demonstration of God's grace and provision. He strips them of their own efforts to cover up their sin, and then God takes the life of the innocent, an innocent animal for the guilty. And this has been the gospel narrative ever since. That, that God had to provide a way, an innocent sacrifice for the guilty. And he does that in Jesus. He does that by sending us his only son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and rise again. And that he becomes the sacrifice for the guilty. This, my friends and family, is the worst day in human history. And it has affected every day ever since. And again, if you don't understand this day, then everything around us will not make sense. We will not point people to Jesus. We will not point people to their greatest need, that we haven't offended a holy God, that God has not provided a way, but he has. The Hebrew word, the he, in the Hebrew, the, the Jews had a word, uh, what they called shalom. It's peace. Shalom means, and I put this in your notes too, shalom means perfection, holiness, everything as it should be, beauty, glory, love, reconciliation, no wars, no famine, no disease, no death, no tears, no suffering, no loss, no mourning, no funerals, no locks on the doors, no police officers, no jails, no soldiers, no need. That is shalom. Everything that is not shalom is sin or the effects of sin. Sin is the marring of shalom. It is the vandalization of shalom. It is the attack on shalom. It is the war on shalom. It's interesting that Jesus comes as the prince of peace. He comes as the prince of shalom, ushering in shalom. This is who Jesus is. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and, it, and in this death came to all people because all sinned, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? You see, what Paul is saying here is there's actually two humanities. We break up humanity in all kinds of different things, through race, through socioeconomics, through all kinds of things. But ultimately here, theologically believing, there are two humanities. There's are two categories. There's one, there, there, there's people who are under Adam, who, and there are people who are under Jesus. This leads me to the last essential truth for the day. <clears throat> 
that we believe that there are ultimately two humanities. Those who are under Adam receive the penalty of death, those uh, through sin. And those who are under under Jesus receive the gift of eternal life through his life, death, and resurrection. Those who are under Adam die. Those who are under Jesus live. Those who are under Adam experience condemnation. Those who are under Jesus experience justification and declared righteous. Those who are under Adam are unrighteous, but those who are under Jesus are made righteous. There's, no, there's only two humanities, and this is why it's so, and why, is this, why does this matter? Because your neighbor who, doesn't, who isn't under Jesus is under Adam. Your kids who have not confessed faith in Jesus is under Adam. They're under a curse, They're, and the result of their, their life will be death if they don't give, put their faith in Jesus. This is why it's so important. This is why we ask you to pray for your neighbor, to love your neighbor, to share the gospel of the good news about Jesus with your neighbor. In Adam's sin, Adam's sin is imputed, imparted, and reckoned to you. In Jesus' righteousness and, and salvation through his sinless life, substitutionary death, and bodily resurrection over Satan's sin and death is imputed, imparted, and reckoned to you. The Bible says this. It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like Paul Tripp said, it's not natural, like, like, because, because accepting blame is not natural to us. It takes rescuing, transforming grace to humble our hearts, to make us willing to, to see ourselves as we truly are, sinners in need of grace. You don't have to hide from God. You can run to him knowing that he is, he is a good God. He loves you. He's not holding back from you. He wants to give you the, the best life, the abundant life, the life free from sin. You don't have to cover your sin anymore. God is a great God of mercy and grace and love. And let me close with this. We are all. Everybody say all. all. Say I am, I am. A, sinner. a sinner. But the good news is, is that Jesus has come to save sinners. And this is good news. The right response to sin is always repentance and putting your faith in Jesus, into his word. Repentance is love and action. Repentance is only possible because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So put your faith in him today. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you revealed to us the truth about the fall, um, human sin, and the curse. It affects everything that we say and do from this point, Lord. Uh, I pray that each and every one here and hearing my voice, God, would put their faith in your provision for sin, that we can't cover up our sin. We can't make ourselves look any better. You see us as we really are, sinners in need of grace, sinners in need of a sacrifice, Jesus, you were the innocent. You died for the guilty. May we, Lord, thank you and praise you, put our faith even more in you. Holy Spirit, convict our heart of our need for you, a need for Jesus. Lord, for those who are struggling with sin right now, I just pray, God, that, that you, will, you will comfort them. They could run to you where, where rescuing, transforming, redeeming grace is found. And then they would stop hiding, stop running. They can't run from you, God. You're everywhere, all the time. 
And so thank you, God, for these truths that bring us so much comfort. Save the lost, comfort the afflicted, and God, may this day bring you glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.